What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of The Transition, a show aimed at demystifying the entrepreneur experience for those of you looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs team. In this episode, I interview Curtis Riggs, an Army veteran and founder of the Military Influencer Conference, the largest gathering of entrepreneurs, leaders, and creatives in the military space. The event connects entrepreneurs, business executives, and brands with the influencers who shape and support the military community. Curtis takes us back to his days in Flint, Michigan, where he was born and raised, sharing an enlightening story from his days as a teenager launching a recycling business to his pathway to the Army and eventually moonlighting days as a third shift entrepreneur, launching multiple side hustles while balancing his full-time Army job, navigating a divorce, and overcoming financial hardships. Despite all these challenges, Cortez managed to persevere through it all, eventually launching the Military Influencer Conference into the premier networking event for the military community. You don't want to miss this episode. Cortez is a dynamic speaker and provides tons of knowledge and insight for those of you in the entrepreneurial hustle. I hope you enjoy the show and that it accelerates you on your own journey. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Transition. Today, we're interviewing Curtez Riggs, Army veteran and founder of the Military Influencer Conference. What's going on, Curtez? Mike, pleasure to be here, man. Thanks for taking the time out to chat with me this evening. Man, it's my pleasure, man. You got all the knowledge and wisdom. We need to. We need it for our audience. <laughs> I'll share what I can, man, but I don't claim to know a lot. Do me a favor, man. Go ahead and introduce yourself, introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, so uh, my name is Curtez Riggs, born and raised in a little place called Flint, Michigan. Uh, I left home right after my 18th birthday, joined the U.S. Army, served for a, tw- a total of 21 years, and of course, opted to retire and transition into entrepreneurship full time. So, of course, over the next hour, I'll talk about a little bit more specifically about what I'm doing now and some of the lessons I've learned over the past few years as uh, I transition into entrepreneurship. Awesome, man. You're from Flint? I didn't realize that. Yeah, I'm from Flint. That's the uh, that's my stumping grounds. That's where I was born. That's where I was raised. And my entire family still lives there to the day. How are they doing with the water situation? Uh, my mom still cooks out of uh, or she still uses, you know, uh, cooks with, with, with plastic water bottles. Um, you know, the water ain't it, it isn't safe 100 percent. But, you know, they're making it's their normal now. I think that's a clean way of saying it. They're so used to. Um, the situation that's in front of them, I don't even really think it bothers a lot of them anymore, at least for those that, you know, I still, you know, communicate with. It's crazy that it's 2020 and we still got Americans living in this country like it's a third world country. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's another story for another day. Um, yeah, truly. Yeah. The reason I bring it up, too, is because I'm based in Newark, New Jersey. And, you know, uh, we had our whole situation when the water thing hit. And then on top of that, as a boxing fan, you know, you got Clarissa Shield coming out of Flint, Michigan. And then just being if it wasn't Floyd from Flint. Uh, so I'm not sure. One hundred and ten percent. Right. Um, no, I don't believe so. He's from Grand Rapids, the other side of the state. That's right. He's from Grand Rapids. But either way, Michigan has a long history with the uh, boxers, you know, especially coming out of a cronk gym in Detroit. So, so, so I, I get fired up every time I hear Detroit. Huh, so the funny thing is, right. Uh, Clarissa Shields, where she trains at, is called Burston Fieldhouse. Right. 
that was my very first job. And that's also where I established my foundation in boxing, of course, leading up to the point that I joined the military. So Flint is deep in history. And, uh, you know, sometimes I miss the place, but we all get to a point where we have to transition and do something different. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, uh, Cortez, I'll tell you, man, the military influencer conference, I was like, influencer, what the heck is this? But I didn't know you. Per- I didn't, we had never met at the time. Cause the first time I met you personally was at, um, was at Burbiz after yeah, you know, in DC. competition in DC. But I just remember, man, like I am, you know, I do this, I do podcasts and I do my company Ironbound. Um, but people were hitting me up. They're like, Mike, are you going to the military influencer conference, military influencer conference? I'm like, what the heck is that? And personally, I, I like being in a New York city metro area. I kind of hate the word influencer. Cause you ask people what they do and they're like, I'm a, I'm an influencer. influencer. I'm an Instagram influencer. But man, I was, you know, after doing my podcast and stuff, I was kind of excited for the, the conference this year, just even learning more. Yeah. So the, the, the word influencer is very deceiving. And what I, what, what, when, when I started this, back in 2016, the buzzword was really leadership, but we didn't want to call it the military leadership conference, right? So in the army, one of the first definitions I learned was the definition about leadership. And it goes something like this, right? Leadership is a process of influencing others to accomplish a mission. So over my 21 years of service, one word that I always honed in on was influence, right? So all it is at the core, it's a gathering of influential leaders across the military, military spouse and veteran space that come together to connect and collaborate, talking about things such as entrepreneurship, uh, how to create content, how to scale a brand or business, or most importantly, how to give back to the community that the majority of us are from and we all care passionately about. Yeah. And it, that's why I would get so excited about just thinking about it because after coming on the scene as somewhat of a content creator, having launched a podcast, I was excited to potentially learn and grow amongst other, you know, people in the same space. And mm-hmm. for us as like veteran entrepreneurs, particularly African-American and minority veteran entrepreneurs, we kind of just overlap with each other. I feel like we all just kind of start to get to see each other. We know of certain people, but you might not meet them in person. But now things are just kind of coming full circle. Like I've known of Chef Rush for a minute. I never been on a panel with him. I never That's talked a big guy, to him. man. But we were on a panel together, and it was just like, right, what's up, man? What's up, man? How you doing? You know? Yeah, the synergy is there, man. Um, what I love about our community and the wider military and veteran affiliated community is the care, the compassion, how we choose to uplift, uh, uplift one another as we all go through this crazy journey together. It's nothing like it. But the problem is one of the problems that I've noticed about people in our space, we don't want to reach out and we don't want to ask for help. Right. A lot of us have this mindset that we can charge full speed ahead and accomplish any mission in front of us. But entrepreneurship, man, is a is, a, is another game. Right. If you choose to call yourself a hustler or entrepreneur or whatever title you choose to put on your hat, at the end of the day, you can't do it alone. Right. And I think that's where so many of us make a mistake. So what I love about the conference is that it's an opportunity for you to kind of like let your guard down. You come to a place with like-minded people. And I mean, at our last event, we had close to 900 people that were there from all different walks of life. And everybody let their guards down just a little bit to find the help and support that they needed to elevate themselves or elevate somebody else. And it's fantastic, man. It's super dope too, because, you know, so many people that, um, you know, veterans, active duty personnel don't even know about all the amazing opportunities that are being created for them post their military career, or even while they're in the military, because, you know, previous generations, what they have, 
the VFW, did the foreign, it was the VFW. What was another one? American Legion. American Legion, like all these different stuff. And unfortunately, you know, for various different reasons, a lot of those legacy institutions don't appeal to this current generation. You know, so yeah. it's cool that you were able to build out a conference that educates uh, veterans around opportunities within content creation, within public speaking, within leadership in general, so that they can, you know, the military doesn't necessarily have to be the highlight of their life. And that's where you see a lot of veterans struggling because letting go of that past experience is very hard for them because so many of them do feel like it was a highlight of their life. They don't think that, man, I'm out now. How do I contribute to society? How am I a part of something? And your platform is giving us an opportunity to gather around others to amplify our own voices and leadership potential. True, man. I mean, Mick or the Military Influencer Conference is just one of those avenues. There's a ton out there. But like I said, it goes back to being connected, man. You have to plug in. We don't have the VFWs where we can walk into one location. And for the most part, we're brought up to speed about the things that are going on in our local community. Now, with the advent of social media and the different platforms that we communicate on, it's very difficult to stay up to speed on all the different things going on. So, you know, you have to find your trusted resources like Bunker Labs, like the Military Influencer Conference, like IVMF, and stay abreast to the different things that they're doing. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, right? I can't imagine running a conference. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just not an event guy. I get overwhelmed even just thinking about it. Um, and I just brought on an executive assistant to actually help me coordinate stuff, right? Because that's just not my superpower. So when I think of somebody like you that's able to bring all these different people together and run this conference, get sponsors and whatever, you're just like a rock star in my book. And you really are, right? But one of the things I want to do with the show is I want us to take off our armor for the mm. audience so they can see a little bit behind the scenes and learn about some of the things we're struggling with as small business owners, um, whether personally or professionally. And so I'm going to ask you to take off your armor for our audience and uh, pull the veil back for them. I understand. So um, something I'm struggling with specifically, right? Yep. So we're in this, this, this COVID world. And for whatever reason, this pandemic came out of nowhere and has completely flipped our world upside down. So I'm in the event space. My revenue um, comes from doing events. That's, that's what I'm about, right? And so now I'm living in an environment where I can't do an event. How do I continue driving revenue? That's my biggest struggle that I'm dealing with right now. And so I'm in a situation where I plan a year ahead. And just to give you a little bit of background, um, my last job in the Army was a training NCO. So I spent um, two years as a senior training NCO for a brigade that covered essentially uh, 13 different states within the recruiting command. And one of my responsibilities was to lead and manage a team of trainers that would essentially bring that community or bring that brigade together and train and educate them. Right. So from organizing a conference or organizing um, um, what we call like an annual training event for the military, that's where my background and experience came from. But the great thing about being in service and operating as a training NCO is you don't have to care about the budget. Right. You don't have to care um, so much about how the bills are going to get paid. You have a budget. DOD covers that. It flows down through the various channels and that bill is getting paid. Now I'm Mr. Entrepreneur that nobody knows. And I'm trying to step out into a space that's that's dominated by larger nonprofit organizations and also educational institutions. Raising the money without a concept that people could really feel, see, touch and understand was incredibly crazy. 
And of course, I've been able to do that. I was able to successfully lay, lay the foundation back in 2016 with the support of brands like USAA, Comcast, um, Caliber Home Loans and others. But now I'm at a point four years later where we're literally uh, months away from doing what would have been our fourth event. And we just had to postpone it to 2021 because of everything that's going on with COVID. Now I'm in a uh, now I'm in a pickle, right? Um, people have paid me to do certain things, but if I can't host an event, how do I accomplish or how do I complete the mission essentially that they've paid me to do? So you want to talk about letting your armor down, right? When sponsors are paying you high dollar values to do something specific and you're not able to deliver, but at the same time your runway is starting to run short, that's a big situation. That's a rough situation to be in, and I'm sure we'll talk about that specifically a little bit more. Yeah, man, this this pandemic has pushed us all mentally, physically and spiritually. And one of the things I'll tell you, man, is like and I think I said this on another episode when this thing first hit, I saw people comment on LinkedIn. CEOs, stop calling yourself wartime CEOs. You haven't been to war, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, if you're a small business owner like here in Newark, these small business owners were fighting tooth and nail to keep their doors open, to pay their employees, to make sure people could put food on the table. And they went down swinging. Until mm-hmm. it was to the point to where stuff got closed. And like yeah. I've been to war, I've been shot at, and this felt like war to me. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a crazy time, man. And my hope and prayer is that the majority of the entrepreneurs, they find an opportunity to pivot and land, um, if not on their feet, at least they're using their knees, right? You know, they're landing in a position where they're able to step back up and do something different besides this turbulent situation that all of us are in right now. I'll tell you, though, as difficult and challenging as an environment this is, I truly believe that the veteran community can and will lead us on the other side of this because at the end of the day, it's stressful. It's hard. But this is not the hard. I mean, it's some of the hardest stuff we've dealt with, but we have the skills to persevere and grind it out, improvise, adapt, overcome because of our backgrounds. And I worry about the civilian community who doesn't have that training, you know, what I mean, who's never been in the cut. Um, And that's why I think we can lead through this. Yeah, all of us have to continue to give back and continue serving our communities. So like uh, one of the adjustments that we've been forced to do since we can't do the event as planned in September, we are actually hosting a a large scale virtual summit that's going to be on November 10th. And the whole emphasis behind this event is something different. It's not the typical, let's learn about how to do business. It's about literally veterans stepping up and leading their homes, leading their communities, and focusing uh, focusing on giving back to the wider uh, community that we're all a part of, right? So we're kind of changing the tone a bit, but at the end of the day, it's just like you said, we're leaders, man. We've, we've been trained and we've done it through very crazy and hostile situations in most cases, right? So there's some inherent grit, there's passion that drives us, right? That we can use to, to, to put it, put other people in a situation where they can potentially learn from us, learn to be you know, uh, a little bit more optimistic about the circumstances and take what they can from us in order to steer themselves in a different direction. We don't have a choice right now. I mean, like uh, one of the venues here that I was using for the September event um, just had to close their doors. Now, when I think about creating an experience, this is the type of place you want to be at. It's 14,000 square feet, has the best barbecue in the city of San Antonio. There's uh, a place for live music. There's hidden bars all through the facility, right? But the guy's overhead to for rent alone was like $20,000. 
you add in, you know, the, the, the cost of utilities and everything else just to keep the doors open. That's almost twenty eight thousand dollars of overhead that this guy had to pay every day. And even though he got the best ribs in the city of San Antonio, he had to close his doors. Right. But one thing I could appreciate about what he was saying when he had his Facebook live today was the fact that he isn't going to stop. He's going to figure out a way to continue the movement, whether it's something as small as a food truck. Right. You know, he can take essentially one month that he was spending for overhead, build out a food truck and carry on. But most importantly, he's adjusting to the circumstances that we're all in right now. That's the tenacity. That's the drive that we need to make sure that we're sharing with as many people as we possibly can. So more people are able to adapt and overcome uh, throughout these crazy times. And sometimes that's all you can do is just keep moving forward. You know, I did a CrossFit workout this morning and it was a grinder, Cortez. I'm talking about like, you know, CrossFit workouts where everybody's just working and huffing and puffing. Nobody's talking to each other. Yeah. And you especially coming out of COVID, you know, some of us put this, this soft body on that we got to tighten up. But I'll tell you, man, I was doing this workout and I was like, I don't care. I'm going to finish. I don't care if I got to walk slow, whatever. I'm finishing this workout and just kind of relating that to being an entrepreneur running their business in the midst of a pandemic or whatever else was going to come. Maybe we'll get attacked by aliens at this point. Who knows? <laughs> but just keep moving forward and persevering, man. And it's, it's, it's very important. And sometimes it's all you can do, but it's the way of being, it's, it's fighting back, right? It's not being so reactive. It's our way of attacking and uh, yeah. we do what we can with what we have, regardless of the circumstance. So, so, you know, we, we, like I said earlier, we talk about, you know, hustling and entrepreneurs, right? You know, the difference between a hustler, a hustler or someone that's hustling and an entrepreneur is primarily an entrepreneur plans for the long term. They build scalable systems in order for them to grow what they're doing. And then they hire hustlers to more or less execute, right? So I have a business development person. She's not an entrepreneur. She's a straight up hustler. And every day she's focused on generating and refining leads and taking them through the sales cycle, right? Now I'm in a situation because there's so much uncertainty with my brand that I have to step back and go in a hustle mode myself to figure out how I'm going to pivot through this, right? So you may have seen it, but we we, we uh, did a joint venture with another brand called Ameriforce Media and we're launching a magazine. I'm trying to figure out now, instead of me just creating co uh, conferences and events where people pay to come, how can I transition a little bit more and turn over to some of these educational institutions and have them run their events through me? So now I'm functioning as a low-level contractor, but we're planning and executing their events instead of trying to create our own. So we constantly have to put ourselves in a situation where we're always hustling and thinking about creative ways to make small adjustments to our business plan that we crafted years ago. Because there's so much uncertainty right now. I had plans that were firmed and laid out that would create or make Mick a million dollar brand by the end of 2020. Guess what? That is now pushed back to probably 2023 or 2024 because of everything that's going on. But the mission doesn't stop because there's still people that depend on me to support their family. And also, most importantly, um, the community depends on me because of the conference and because of the events that we put together and the value add it is for them specifically. Man, I am. I love my job because I get to interview people like you and I can already feel, I can feel the energy just coming out the microphones, man. And uh, I'm super excited to go deeper into this discussion. But before we do, we got to acknowledge Bunker Labs. Bunker Labs is a national nonprofit of, is a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping the military connected community start their own businesses. We're committed to seeing that every entrepreneur in the military connected community has the network tools and resources they need to start their own businesses. 25% of transitioning service members want to start a business and they need a place inside their community. 
where they can connect with the people, resources, and support they need to start and grow their business. We're here for them. You can learn more by visiting www.bunkerlabs.org. Be sure to also sign up for Bunker Online, our social network for the military connected community, where Bunker Lab staff helps make connections to increase your opportunities. You can register today at www.bunkeronline.org. Uh, Cortez, Cortez and I, correction, were uh, both city leaders within Bunker Labs at some point. So we're uh, a little bit of Bunker Lab OGs. <laughs> That's a safe way to put it, man. Great organization. The impact is massive. But what I'll always remember most is the people that were willing to step up and support me um, as I'm going through this cycle of really learning how to grow a business. Right. Um, I'm not you know, I don't have no fancy education. I got a bachelor's degree from a garbage college to get promoted from within the military. So everything that I've learned, I've learned through a network of supporters and most of those supporters they came from the bunker labs community yeah, absolutely and uh, it's just a great resource great network no different i mean even with your program you know military influencer conference there's just so many amazing opportunities for veterans that i just this is why we got to do content like this to get the word out and spread the message so people know the options that they have available to them yeah so i want to take it back cortez all right trent talk to us about your transition into entrepreneurship how did you go from Flint, Michigan, in the Army, and now you're running conferences and pivoting and digital magazines? I mean, I want to know the inside scoop. So um, to take you back, right, let's go back to the early 80s. And I'm going to start with uh, one of my first memories. Um, so growing up for, uh, in Flint, I grew up in a single parent home. It was my mother um, who was trying to change her life, going through school with two young children. But I was raised primarily by my great grandmother. And literally, man, one of my earliest memories is going up to a Kmart um, and we stood in this long line in front of a Kmart. And I couldn't remember. I couldn't understand why we were standing in this line at Kmart. So as we walked to the door of Kmart, we didn't make a left to walk inside it. We walked past it and entered this. Um, to me, it looked like an abandoned building. But when we walked in, man, there was this uh, like panel glass wall. And behind that, there was this person. Right. I don't really remember the person in detail. But what I do remember is that my mother and grandmother had to sign a name on a form. And then we sat down in these chairs for the better part of an hour. My mom's name was called first. My mom got up. She grabbed me by the hand and then she walked up to another door and she was given a box. Right. So for those that don't know, before we really had food stamps, food was literally given once a month in a box. So that was my first exposure that life was a little bit different for us. I didn't understand it. I knew most other people went to a grocery store to get food, but we got our food from a box once a month. And the expectation was for us to make that food last until the, the, the next deposit came that next month. Right. So growing up, I went without, I went without a lot. I got to a point when I was around 12 years old that in order for me to go to school and look like the other kids, I had to figure out a creative way to make money. Now, it wasn't a lot of money. I needed the ability to buy a pair of new shoes, get what little clothing that, that I could find. And so what I ended up doing is I watch and I learn. Right. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a type of person that learns by by looking and seeing what other people are doing. So I recognize that every Saturday morning at the ballpark. The men would get together and they would play softball. They would have their little drinks. They would have their little coolers. But what they also did is when they were finished with those cans and bottles, they would just pitch them into the grass. Right. So I don't know if it was like this up in Jersey, but we have bottle deposits in Flint. 
or I should say in Michigan. So one day I just happened to go to the playground and I'm seeing all of this stuff over uh, in different places across the park. And so I picked up a can and I flipped it over to the bottom and I noticed that it said that it was like a, it, it said something like, you know, um, uh, uh, 10 cents. I asked my mom about it and she told me that if you take that can to the grocery store and put it into this slot, you'll get money per, uh, based upon the number of bottles that you bring in. So my first take as an entrepreneur was going behind first thing Sunday morning, right around six o'clock, cleaning up a park by doing nothing more than picking up these bottles and cans and putting them into a garbage bag. It eventually got to a point where I realized that I was only one person and there were dozens of parks within a reasonable radius of where we lived at. Right. When I say parks, all I'm talking about is ball diamonds where people could come together and they could play baseball and they could socialize because that's what we did before we had computers, iPhones, tablets and all this other fancy stuff. Right. So I asked my brother to come out and help me. My little brother's a little uh, three years younger than me. And so he was my first day laborer. So my first hustle was literally going around town, picking up these bottles and cans and then paying my brother five cents for every one that he brought me. So every Sunday we would pick it up. Monday, I would get on my bike with this big old bag and I would drive or I ride to the great giant and I would turn these bottles over. So that's how I started to learn about the concept that if I wanted something, I had to figure out a way to get it on my own because it was clear that. You know, my mom did the best she could, but she wasn't in a position to really get me the things that I needed so that when school started back at the end of the summer, I wasn't laughed at. I wasn't ridiculed. I wasn't picked on. I had to come up with a creative way to do for myself. So my first gig as an entrepreneur wasn't anything more than creating a crew. And when I say crew, it started with my brother. Then it became the neighbor's two kids. When I turned 14, I was old enough to really get my own job. And guess what? I was still drawing a cut of everything that my little crew was bringing in. Right. So that was my first take as an entrepreneur. And that that um, that that drive that willingness to do something that most people wouldn't consider in order for me to be different or be perceived to being like everybody else was really what sparked my drive as an entrepreneur and helped me um, down this path that really led me where I'm at today. And of course, you know, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more if you don't have any questions about that specifically. No, that's a great story. And I think it's so important to know too, because, you know, one thing I'll tell you is all the entrepreneurs I know, regardless of whether they start at an early age or whatnot, very few entrepreneurs hit a home run their first time up at bat. You know, they've had four, five, six, seven ventures by the time they reach success. And when you really start to dig the story, see, they don't, you know, a lot of times we don't know this, right? You see them with their venture and you're like, man, I wish I could be that person one day. But they have a long track record of a lemonade stand or something. So it's, it's making a lot more sense about why you're able to excel as an entrepreneur um, out here in the civilian world. Yeah. So you talk about a, a, a track record. It wasn't always, you know, um, like it is right now where I can call a major brand up and convince them because the, the social proof that Mick has on why they need to be a part of it. Now the conversation is easier. But if I take it back to 2009, you know, um, I went through a nasty divorce. Uh, long story short, it was ugly, man. She she left me with nothing. Part of it was my fault, but it is what it is. But at the end of it, I was left with a credit score of about 450, okay? Yes, man, credit scores can fall that low. So, you know, you think about that for a minute. So I'm divorced. Um, I have children that I'm responsible for paying child support for, right? This is reality. We're talking about letting down my armor. But the military income um, that I was receiving as a young staff sergeant, it just wasn't enough to make ends meet. 
And then I had this ugly credit score that made me or put me in a situation where I was renting rooms instead of having the credit to rent a place to actually live. So it was very awkward for me. But once again, that inner tenacity, I knew that there was something that I could do about it. Right. I learned how to go about this process of restoring my credit. So I went through this year long process of sort of analyzing all my credit reports, writing letters to the creditors, negotiating how to make these payments and pay this stuff off. Right. So it took me about a year, a little bit more, but I got my credit score to the low 600s. Right. Not great. But yes, I am a little bit better. And then I'm like, okay, I got this bright idea. If I could do it for myself, I'm going to do it for other people, right? So I'm traveling around, talking to different people, talking about more or less how I was able to uh, restore my credit. And then I started a client-based business literally called Stepping Stones Credit Repair Solutions. And Stepping Stones is a, is a shout out to this location uh, from, from my hometown of Flint, Michigan, where it was, we used to always go to Chilatin Park. So, you know, I was going to help people essentially climb the stones to restore their credit. Man, that venture, I think, lasted about 90 days. And the crazy thing is, is that, you know, when I was having people paying me $25 a month to do this uh, uh, work for them, I quickly realized that I didn't like dealing with clients. I didn't like dealing with people and their demands because it's absolutely ridiculous, especially considering what they were paying me, um, or I should say how I justified my worth, right? I justified my worth and made and, and completely overpromised. Um, the results that I was going to give them for a price that just totally wasn't worth it. Right. So I get to a point where, you know, I'm starting this credit repair company. But the thing is doing that, I learned about WordPress. Right. WordPress is nothing more than a content management system. I learned how to create my own websites. I learned the ins and out of this. So once again, everything for me is all about a transition. So I transitioned from running this credit repair company that really didn't go nowhere to the point I am. Instead, I took the content online. Right. I got to a point where I'm writing and producing content, telling people how I was able to do this. Then I got exposed to a concept called affiliate marketing, and then it continues to stack on there. Right. So with affiliate marketing, brands are paying you commissions for people that you refer to them digitally. So if someone lands on my website, I talk about, uh, let's say, myfico.com. They click that link. They go to myfico.com. They start uh, an account with them. I would receive a commission. So this is how I started going through this process. And this is how everything continues to stack on top of each other. Right. So I go from the credit repair company. I'm heavy into affiliate marketing. I get connected with USAA. By this time, I have four or five different blogs where I'm writing about different things. Now, I'm no subject matter expert, but I know the more content you put out, the more people land on your page, the more people click your links, the more money that you make. So the gimmick was you just put out a bunch of content and all of it back then was written form. So I'm active duty army. I'm a young E7 by this time. I have four or five blogs and I'm making a little bit of extra chump change. Right. I have a side hustle or as Todd would say, I'm a third shift entrepreneur by this point in time. I didn't know what the long term vision was. But once again, I'm hustling because I have requirements. I have child support. I have other obligations that I need to pay and I need to take care of. Right. So I have these blogs, I get connected with USAA and they bring me into their influencer circle. This is the first time I think that I had ever heard that word. And so USAA was one of the very first brands that actually started an influencer program. So what they found was a series of bloggers or content creators from the military space. And every single year, USAA would bring us down to San Antonio, Texas from all over the world, literally to learn about their product. Okay. 
USAA is in a market to get service members, veterans and spouses to open accounts with them, whether that's insurance products, uh, mutual funds, investment products, and, uh, or just a simple bank account. So USAA goal was to communicate their value through us to their audience. And then I hit a home run, right? So now I'm a part of this community and I'm meeting all these different people that are in the content marketing space that are doing phenomenal things, right? I met a guy named PT. PT ran a conference, or he runs a conference called FinCon. And the conference at the end of the day is nothing more than a large gathering of financial marketers, right? And so by the fourth year of coming to this USAA influencer event, I told my contact, um, her name is, is Stephanie. I won't say her last name, but I said, hey, Stephanie, you know, um, I love coming here, but, but I'm tired of hearing about USAA. What would be really nice for us if there was a way for us to come together and we brought other blog or excuse me, other companies and other brands together where essentially we could talk to them about the content that we create and develop relationships with them. Right. Um, her response was, OK, uh, if you think that this isn't great, um, you know, kind of like put something together and let's talk about it. Right. So by that time. I got an opportunity, but I don't know how to pull things together. But the great thing about it is I have a network, right? I knew that PT ran a conference. So Philip Taylor uh, ran FinCon and I approached him. I said, hey, you know, I want to do something similar to what you're doing. And uh, he opened the door for me, right? And so through Stephanie, I put a pitch deck, if you could call it that together, right? It was nothing more than a couple of slides. And I tossed this idea to USAA. And initially they told me no. Um, I told them basically I needed like $65,000 to put together uh, a two-day conference and we're going to do the same thing that you did at this influencer group, but we're going to open it up to other brands. And they told me no. So by this time I had ran my mouth and I said I was going to do it. So I'm the type of person, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to follow through with it. So what I proceeded to do is I committed the, per, uh, the personal resources together in 2016 to go about building out this conference. And then later on throughout the process, USAA came to support me and ended up giving me my first uh, five figure check to uh, get this conference off the ground. Um, and uh, it was very it was very interesting how the process played out. But to see how the brand has come and grown and also the personal lessons that I've learned throughout this journey um, ha has been has been massive and very valuable for me. Man, that is an amazing story. And I had zero idea about the influencer marketing, the USA and stuff like that. And it kind of makes complete sense. We have so much talent out here as veterans, the content creators, you know, doing just amazingly dope stuff. And so for you to kind of like be in the early stages of that and kind of see that growth is super uh, important to hear for me. Cause I'm sitting here, I'm like, I'm like about to take notes. You talking, you dropping first names. I want to write it down. <laughs> I never would have thought about that. You know, it goes back to what you're saying before about we can't do this alone. And one yeah. thing I'm learning, no matter what people keep telling you, business is about relationships. Business is about relationships. What do we do? We start our businesses and we want to go talk to somebody we don't even know. We just want to shoot it, you know, shoot, shoot, shoot a jump shot from half court and hope, pray it hits. When really you can just leverage the people right there next to you, veterans right next to you. And so it sounds like that's what you did. And it's, it sounds like you're encouraging other veterans like, hey, leverage veterans within your own community resource, know their skills, know their talents, and let's give them to work and let's all build together. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I was a recruiter for years and, 
you know, the first thing I sold was a commitment and the commitment was to join the military to a young American, uh, a young snotty nosed kid that uh, his mindset isn't where yours is. Right. But that was the first sales process that I had to learn and really master in order to grow through the ranks. But one thing I'll never forget is when I learned the basics of sales, everything's everything begins at establishing rapport. OK, so me and you have rapport now. And because of the rapport we have, as we continue to develop and refine our relationship, I'm going to know what your needs are, right? I'm going to learn what your interests are, right? And so because of the rapport, because of the fact I know what your needs and interests are, I can be more effective in connecting you to the things that you need to grow your brand and vice versa. That's a two-way street here, right? The thing is, man, in our space, if you looked at what typically happens on LinkedIn, and I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, right? No, you did. People typically to make the ask before they have rapport. Right. So, you know, it's like going on a date and you ask or excuse me, going out to a bar and asking somebody automatically just walking up to some random stranger and saying, hey, look, let's go out. Right. But you haven't taken the the time to really get to really get the chance to establish any type of rapport with that person. Right. That's a problem. And then oftentimes in our space, we wonder why we're not getting the help that we needed. It's primarily because you made the ask too early. Right. I don't know you. I don't know why I, I, I need to justify spending the time to help you when we don't really have a relationship yet. And if we don't have a relationship, that means that we don't have a sense of trust. If we don't have a have any trust, it puts me in an awkward position to do for you. I may want to, but of course, time is very precious. I would just encourage everyone that's listening to this or has the opportunity to hear as they're thinking about stepping into this space, look at your internal and external network, the people that you're directly touching and the people that the people, the, the, the people that the people you touch know and figure out how to figure out, most importantly, what their needs are so you can build that relationship with them. So when you get to a point where you need to ask for something, these individuals are more willing to take the time to help you or support you so that you can take the next step along your evolution towards entrepreneurship. And it takes time too. It takes time to build that rapport. Cause I'll tell you about me. I, you know, I've been doing ironbound boxing, teaching free boxing to kids in the community since 2017. And even before that, really, but I launched ironbound. But one of the things I realized is my flywheel, Cortez, is communication, not mm. selling. Cause I'm not a sales guy. I just not my thing. I don't like Excel spreadsheets, whatever. I create content. I communicate with people, let them know what I'm doing. And once I realize that, whether it's doing a LinkedIn video, firing off an email or something, man, people are supporting like you wouldn't believe. Veterans are supporting like you wouldn't believe. All from simply communicating. Now, here's what I also tell you, though. I didn't just start dropping boxing videos on LinkedIn this year. You know, I've been doing this for like three years. So it's like that marinate, that marinate. And then when something happens and people are like, hey, man, there's I want to support a veteran owned business. I want to do this. It's like you're top of mind for them, but it's organic and honest communication with people. And, you know, people got to take the time to build that and not just send these random LinkedIn sales and message, whatever. It's just so super annoying. Yeah. So um, let me let me tell you a quick story about my, my, my number two. I would refer to her as my XO. Right. Her name is Laura. She runs a company called Wise Advice. Um, I met Laura on LinkedIn. She heard about the conference that I was putting together. She told me she was an event planner, right? Now, I don't consider myself to be an event planner. I'm kind of like just this visionary guy, right? I have a big, I'm a good idea fairy. And then I bring the pieces together to make everything work, right? So Laura and I had this conversation 
And the conversation didn't go very well. To me, she just came across as another person trying to pitch why she needs to be given the contract to execute the conference for me. So I told her no. A week later, um, her business partner created a video um, and she identified through this video my pain points. And she recorded a three minute video and shot it to me. Um, I watched the video at that time. I had never seen anything like that before, but it was so original. It helped me realize a problem that I didn't have. And 15 minutes later, I was on the phone with her. Right. And the conversation goes something like, you know, um, thank you for sending that. I didn't even recognize I had the problem. And then she began to explain to me how she could fix it. Right. Now, this is Laura Early's business partner. Right. So her business partner, after realizing that Laura didn't have the rapport and effectiveness to close me as a customer, she came up with something that was incredibly valuable for me. And guess what? Me and Laura have been running hard for the last four years, growing Mick as a brand and also as an organization. And she's been my right hand woman in all of this. Right. So another thing that I would encourage people to do is never accept the first no. Right. Don't just give up. Most people um, are very cold to new opportunities and new relationships. So you have to kind of like figure out a creative way to massage it, right? Give them something that they need that they may not recognize based upon your experiences and skill set. And you never know where the relationship can go, right? I didn't realize I had a problem until it was pointed out to me. Cortez, just listening to you talk, I'm like, man, I wish you were up here in the New York City metro area. Because I'm like, man, we need to build together. Because as a city leader, you man, they were lucky to have you. Because the knowledge and stuff, you're literally just dropping gems. And I'm willing to bet, man, you were just empowering all these young, hungry uh, entrepreneurs. And a lot of times, sometimes you got to be in a position to receive the information now, you know, especially early on. So for those of y'all that are listening that have not made the leap in entrepreneurship yet or have started and are looking for some traction, listen to the stuff this man is telling you. He is literally dropping gems. I've been in like four or five different incubators. I got a business coach. The same stuff he's saying is the same stuff my coach says. So Man. I'm telling you, listen to him. Now, one thing I want to clear up for our audience that is listening, because especially as like small business owners, hustlers, entrepreneurs, you know, they hear terms like, oh, you got 5K for the military influencer conference. How much of that were you like paying yourself or was it going mainly to run the conference? Yeah. So um, just, just like anything, everything operates off a of budget. Um, before you do anything as an entrepreneur, you have to know where the money's coming from, where it needs to be spent, and then what you're going to have left over um, to essentially cover you know, your wages if you choose to pay yourself. I didn't pay myself at all for Mick for the first two and a half years. I wasn't in a position to, right? Um, as a conference, you know, uh, by year two, we, were, it, it, we had a, a quarter of a million dollars in expenses, right? I didn't have the position. I didn't have the revenue to afford to pay myself a salary at all. So a lot of people have the false assumption that, you know, you step into entrepreneurship, you start a business, you grow a brand and the money is just going to fall in. Right. Um, you you don't necessarily have the ability to pay yourself up front, especially in a sense of a startup. One of the most powerful lessons that I've ever heard is that you build a business while you got income. Right. Um, and I, I'll say Todd Connor again, he, he's, he's writing a book about being a third shift entrepreneur. For those of you that are still serving right now, if you have an idea, now's the time to pull the trigger while you're serving because you have guaranteed paying entitlements for the duration that you're serving. Now's the time for you to start a business and focus on growing a brand, planting the roots 
so that when you get to a point that this that this business has a strong, strong foundation and you get to a point and you're ready to transition, that business is more than likely able to support you so long as you're reasonable with, you know, your own personal expenses. You're not going to live a lavish life as an entrepreneur, especially starting off. Right. Um, the only reason that I was able to do what I was able to do when the time that I did it was because I had, you know, my, my job in the army. I retired. I'm 100% service disabled plus retirement income. That was the that put me in a position where I was able to do and grow my brand, and I didn't have to focus on paying myself. So take advantage of um, uh, of the income that you already have coming in as a service man or service woman in order to take the time to start this business. And for those of you that are already out and are thinking about launch adventure, listen to that advice as well. I didn't know that, right? Like when I I quit my job, I went full in. Um, and launched my business, right? It's been a great experience, been a great road. But on the way, I had a through, I had a couple layups thrown at me, you know, part-time consulting gigs and whatnot. And at the time I felt embarrassed about it. I'm like, am I really an entrepreneur if I'm taking a part-time consulting gig and doing this? But man, after being in the trenches, I found out that's what everybody did. If you got a product-based business, you know how much product you have to sell to justify your salary? You know, you're hiring every, you're hiring employees, social media managers. The last person to get paid in a small business tends to be the founder. And they're yeah. keeping these things going with duct tape and whatever it takes to stay alive and stay in the fight. So do not be embarrassed about that, man. There's like, if you're bootstrapping a venture, you're not raising a bunch of capital, you're bootstrapping it, man, you got to get creative and you got to just, it just makes it so much better when you can actually like cover your living expenses and whatnot. And Cortez, Cortez, you speak to this too. We both know that regardless of what venture you're launching, whether it's a podcast, a nonprofit, uh, a digital marketing agency, now we know it takes 10 times the amount of time, effort, and money. You know, I have to like, I, I'm no more good ideas over here because I'm thinking like, man, I just know that it's just going to, it's going to be a heavy lift. And unfortunately, a lot of young veteran entrepreneurs do not know that. They think it's just going to be all nice and dandy and you know, they're going to launch something and people are going to come to their store and just start buying stuff. It doesn't work like that. It takes time. It has to marinate. Yeah. Um, a, a, another um, bomb that I guess I would drop is um, as you're considering starting a venture, whatever that may look like, it's very important that you do an honest assessment and figure out how to downgrade your personal lifestyle. So um, case in point, um, a lot of people that leave the military, what irritates me or one thing I'll never understand is how do you serve for 21 years and then you opt to retire, but you are forced back into the workforce because you have not prepared to transition. OK, so hear me out now. And I'm not saying this to insult anybody, but you serve for 21 years. I mean, when I when I was at my peak, I was doing about 90 K a year. And when I made the decision to retire from the military, I knew that my military income wasn't going to support that. And in order to put myself in a position where I could best grow my brand, I had to sell the fancy cars, right? I had to put myself on a budget that directly relates to the money that I was going to be receiving post-military, right? A lot of us don't do that, man. We try to maintain what we had, but we're not taking into account the sacrifices that really need to be made to start this business, right? Um, or to grow your brand. You have to make or be willing to make personal sacrifices in order to put the emphasis or the focus on the brand that you're trying to grow. 100%, 100%. And, uh, you know, for me, I'll tell you, like, I don't I don't make a lot of money. I mean, I can pay my bills, I can pay my expenses, 
But it's like, I've, I feel like I've had runway forever. You know, when you first start out, you're like, man, I got about four months of runway, a year later, about four months of runway. And so my friends from the cabin are like, every time I talk to you, I feel like you have four months of runway. I'm like, that's just what it is. But, um, you know, like you got to be humble, man. What's more important? You want to pretend like you're this guy, you got all this, you got the car and stuff, but you don't have a brand, you don't got a business, or do you really want to be an entrepreneur? And I think that's what you're, you're talking to. That's it, man. That's it. Um, and uh, something else that I just thought of, uh, one of the, the books that I read very early on that completely shifted the way I think about money is called Profit First by this guy named Mike, Mike Alusky, right? And I probably murdered his last name. But um, the concept, you know, that most of us fall in and we think about is that we receive money, we receive revenue, we have expenses, and what's left over is our profit. His book teaches a methodology that when you receive revenue, you automatically pull your profits first and what's left is what you have for expenses. Now, if you think about it that way, if essentially just like you're tithing, if you go to church, you, you, pay, the, you pay God, you pay the church first, you pull out your profits in your business and then you learn to live within the expenses that's remaining based upon the profit that you decided to take. So it completely shifts your mindset about how you manage your money, okay? Especially as an entrepreneur. Now your profit margin may be 5%, it may be 10%, but pull it from the top and then think about how do you adjust the expenses and how you spend your money? Do you really need this high-speed dynamic email list thing that you're using to uh, create custom campaigns and use all these features that you really don't use that's costing you $100 a month or can you do the same thing for five, right? Those are the things that you have to take into consideration as you're growing your brand. So Mike, Mike Alusky, take a look at the book. It's called Profit First, if that's something you're interested in. But it worked wonders for me as I go about budgeting and planning long-term for, for my business. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I got the book right here. I need to look, I need to reread it. I listened to it on Audible. I need to read it again. Um, so Cortez, talk to us. What Post-COVID, where are you at now? What are you working on? You know, what's the future? Ah, uh, so um, I'm always pivoting. So uh, like, like I said earlier, Mick will happen this November. We move the big large, uh, I should say the big live event to May of uh, 2021. And I am in the process of literally pulling together another brand. Um, one thing that I've always been consistently good at is identifying a need. Um, and I recognize that there's a lack of diversity in the veteran space. So I'm looking at uh, creating a brand, so to speak, that elevates and amplifies minorities that are veterans. Um, and we come up with a creative way to support one another through that. So that's the next, or I should say the basics of the project that I'm working on for the future. So we hope to do a soft launch in late September and we'll be off to the res races by Veterans Day. That's man. I First of all, we've already talked about that. He brought me in and just kind of gave us some insight into it. It's a great idea because the niche is like wide open. Um, and I'm super excited to even just be associated with, to know you. And I'm excited to see where this thing is headed as an entrepreneur. How many, what time entrepreneur are you like a 10 time, 11 time? What would you describe yourself as? Um, I would say six, six. Um, time. This, this will be my sixth venture that I've, uh, stood up. So talk to our audience about how you're handling this venture strategically, because again, it goes back to what I was saying. Cortez's first venture, the entrepreneur that launched the first credit card company or taking it back, the bottle company is not the same one that's going into this brand you're building now. Right. Mm -hmm. so you've learned you've got your battle scars. You're like Ali been knocked down, jaw been broke. 
You know what I mean? You're bad. All right. Let our audience know how you are approaching building a brand from the ground up. Yeah. So so one of the things that I've learned over the years to do differently is I can no longer do it all on my own. Um, early on, I had this idea that I could just sit in my little dungeon and create, 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 and things would magically come together. I know now what my strengths are. I'm a connector. I have um, a tons of relationships that I've cultivated over years that I can pull those strings and leverage that relationship to do powerful things, right? So what I've done is I've took the last few weeks to build a core team. And if you can call them co-founders or whatever you choose to name them as, right? I have a designer because we're looking at stepping into a product-based brand and design is very important to this. I can't draw, you know, at all. So the first thing that I went looking for is a designer um, and up front, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't willing to commit the money to necessarily pay him. So I offered him a small percent of the brand in exchange for his labor. And because he sees the vision, he understands the direction that we're in. He is willing to essentially partner um, with me in his venture for a portion of the, co- of the company of the equity in order to actually manage the complete design of the brand, the business. The next immediate thing that I know that I need is I need an effective communicator because once again, um, um, I am not the best person to communicate my thoughts on paper, right? Yes, I can sit in a dungeon and I can come up with great ideas, but how do you talk about that from a public relations standpoint? How do you translate what Cortez is thinking about making it in a fashion that people will be uh, will receive it? So bottom line is the other person that we're bringing on board as a partner is a person that's literally in the PR space and deals with communication. The brand that I'm building is going to rely on a lot of um, uh, social equity. It's also going to rely on us leveraging the moment that we're going through right now as a country in order to get this off. And that's very important. When I think about or when I consider something to launch, I always I, I, I have to make sure that you're paying attention to what's going on in society. And so as I prepare to launch this lifestyle brand, I am actively looking at what's going on. And so I've taken the time to look, do my homework. I've identified where the market is and what the need is. And all we're doing is leveraging my personal relationships that I have from Mick in order to get this new venture off the ground. So it's about relationships and finding out or recognizing what your individual strengths are and what type of team you need to pull together in order to get what you're trying to do off the ground. Because because trust me, you, you can't do it by yourself, right? So the designer the PR uh, uh, person is the core team that I need to take the next steps with this venture, this brand that we're working on launching in the next month or so. That self-awareness, that self-awareness piece is very key as well, right? Because, you know, so many times we, 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 we run ourselves into the ground trying to fight off our weaknesses when sometimes just focus on your strengths and bring in people to cover your six, you know, get that overwatch. And it sounds like, again, you being the connector, you're like, Hey man, I'm not good at this graphic design stuff. I don't need to be up on Canva anymore. Let me hire someone else to take care of that. Let me hire someone else to get the communication stuff done. And I will tell you, I'm in that space as well now. Got an executive assistant. You know, I have somebody who does my graphic stuff now. I send it off because we can focus on our most important work, which is the strategy and the building and the connecting. And so that's another important takeaway that that he's dropping for you all. So, uh, Cortez. I know you mentioned the Mike, uh, Michael Wachowicz book, whatever, uh, Profit First. Yeah, Michael, Michael Luce, I, I, I give up. Michael, Michael Alex. Michael Alex, like. all right. What other books, podcasts, articles do you, repre- do you recommend for our audience? 
uh, podcast. So I grew up um, listening to a gentleman by the name of Pat Flynn. Um, he actually spoke at the last military influencer conference. Um, I don't care what type of brand or business you're creating. You need to understand how the Internet works. Right. Um, we live in a covid world. The majority of transactions that are happening right now are happening digitally. They're happening online. So you have to understand how the inner work, Internet works and how e-commerce works. And so Pat Flynn is the type of guy that is a self-made I should say internet entrepreneur, but he's legit. He's down to earth. He's humble. He's the type of individual that you can listen to and learn from in order to figure out how to creatively leverage the um, uh, le leverage the internet to, to grow what you're doing. So from a podcast standpoint, he is my number one choice. And every episode he drops, he's somebody I'm listening to, right? He also does this thing called uh, Ask Pat, where you know, uh, people call in with questions and live, he addresses their questions about, you know, entrepreneurship and brand building. That's powerful stuff. Right. Um, and uh, of course, all of us are familiar with Shark Tank, um, whether you like it or not. There's a lot of great there's a ton of great lessons that you can learn just by watching the flow. Also, the behind the scene footage. And then you can take a deeper dive by jumping into any of the Sharks books and publications that they're responsible for. Right. So if you're looking at um, uh, raising funds specifically, it gives you a firsthand look about how the process works and how to properly prepare yourself for a pitch. Amazing. Yeah. I listen to Pat Flynn. I got a couple of his books. Um, definitely listen to the Sharks, the Damon John books. Those are good. Um, and yeah, just the, the self-knowledge. Nobody's going to do this for you. You got to get out there and you got to, you know, you got to get in the ecosystem. You got to get plugged in. And Cortez, you don't have an MBA, do you? No, man, I got a high school diploma from Flint Southwestern uh, Academy. Um, and I, I tell everybody that's the extent of my education. My bachelor's degree was literally me sitting in front of a computer, pushing buttons, answering some simple questions. And um, to me, that's one of the flaws with the military. Right. I got a degree to get a get, I got a degree to get a promotion. I didn't get a degree to help me outside of the military. Right. I took some garbage classes, got a degree that I needed to make the next rank. Right. So the extent of my education is a high school diploma and the life lessons that I've learned from experience and, you know, being willing to step out and do something. I got to get you on with uh, Stuart Scheller for a follow up episode because from the perfect ribbon, because both of you bring up a very good point about how amazing it would be if veterans, correction, mil active duty military personnel had an opportunity to scratch that entrepreneur itch while they're still in. That way, when they're getting out in their transition, they still have that sense of purpose that sense of meaning, you know, they're not wasting time in the barracks playing video games and drinking and boozing it up. They're making dope t-shirt brands and other stuff. And uh, I think you'd be a great person to have that conversation with. And uh, who knows, maybe in a future episode, I'll, I'll bring you guys both on. Um, any save rounds for our audience? Final thoughts, words of encouragement for a bunch of veteran entrepreneurs, military spouses, aspiring entrepreneurs who are looking to take the leap or are currently in the trenches. So um, I'm a fan of, of Dan Alaric from Grunt Style. Um, and the first time I heard him speak, he gave an analogy about McDonald's. Um, he said that if let's say that, you know, you wanted to start a burger company, but the thing that prevented you from starting a burger company is because you're trying to perfect the hamburger. McDonald's don't have a perfect hamburger, but they are one of the most successful brands in the world. OK, think about that for a minute. That nasty $2 cheeseburger um, has allowed this brand to grow to do great things. My, what, what, where I'm going with this is simple. Don't be afraid to pull the trigger. 
take your idea and no matter how broken it is, move forward with it. You'll learn through that process and you'll figure out through your customers what you need to do to fix that burger, right? How to make your burger better. But the longer you think, the longer you contemplate, the longer you plan, the only thing that you're doing is delaying and wasting time. Take action as soon as you figure out what your niche is and the rest, you'll go through the school of hard knocks just like all of us have been through in order to learn how to successfully grow what you're building. That's all I can. I mean, that's that's what I would tell you. You know, don't be afraid to step out and do it. Cortez, I appreciate you so much for making time for me to jump on this platform and share these words of wisdom with our audience. One of the things I am thankful for with COVID is facilitating this relationship and allowing us to actually do this because I know post pre-COVID, everybody's busy running around and we're still hustling. We're still running around, but, you know, jumping on Zoom, having a quick meeting, doing podcasts and stuff is the world we live in. And I'm thankful that it allowed us to to make this happen. Where can people find you at? How can they follow you or get a hold of you? Yeah. So Cortez Riggs, you can just Google me. Of course, you can find me on Facebook, um, LinkedIn. I would just ask if you send an introduction, let me know about who you are and specifically how I can help you. And trust me, um, if you send me a message and you express a need, um, I'll go through my I'll go through my network and see who I can connect you through or connect you to in order to help you grow with whatever you're trying to do. Um, I believe it's very important to give back. But if you don't arm me with any information, I mean, it's not it's, I'm not even going to bother to try. Absolutely. So for our listeners out there, be sure to reach out to Cortez only if you listen to his instructions and clarify what it is specifically that you're needing. But uh, he's a good guy, man. He's doing great for the community. He's building a platform and we're all going to build together. So as you jump into this entrepreneurship journey, understand that there are people on your left and your right who are looking out for you and got your overwatch. Do me a favor, all our listeners out there, Subscribe to The Transition on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today and leave us a review. If you just forward this podcast to one person in your network, we greatly appreciate it. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, visit www.bunkerlabs.org, select the city nearest to you and sign up for our local newsletter. From there, you'll attend one of our networking events. It's that simple. If you want to get connected at Bunker Online, where you can learn about our many different programs to support your entrepreneurial journey, visit www.bunkeronline.org. We have programs that will take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Whatever your entrepreneurial needs are, we're here to help support and nurture them. Until next time, everyone, thanks for tuning in and have a great rest of your week.